our little series uh, in uh, what's been called Glimpses of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we're in chapter 12 uh, this morning. So if you'd like to follow along, uh, it's Matthew chapter 12. Let me pray before I read this passage. Loving Father, we're very conscious of um, your presence, your loving presence with us. And Lord, as we turn to the Bible now, we pray that you would help us to release the things that don't do us any good and to receive the things that you want to pour into our lives. And Lord, I ask for help to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's reading from chapter 22 uh, of Matthew chapter 12, and uh, I've entitled this, this section, The King Who Sets Us Free. The King Who Sets Us Free. Then they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties him up? Then he can rob his house. And back to the first verse, Jesus meets this man and we just simply read, Jesus healed him. How did he do that? How did he do that? That's a, a question we sometimes ask in life. It might be, you know, you're on holidays, you, you're, you're, you're looking at places and so on, you come across a great cathedral, a medieval cathedral, and there it is, and you just sort of begin to take in the splendor of that cathedral, the colossal dimensions, the massive sort of awe-inspiring scale that this building has been constructed. Uh, and yet, as you look a little bit more closely, you notice that the, the, the way that the stones of this cathedral have been shaped, it's so delicate. It's amazing. It's so vast, and yet it's so delicate. And you stand from a distance, you look at it, and it's as though it's almost floating in the air. It's a, just a stunning beauty. And I think it's true to say that builders in our century, in the 21st century, would be daunted by such a challenge 
uh, even with their modern technology and their engineering. And yet this was built, this cathedral was built a thousand years ago. How did they do that? Or take sport maybe, not so long since uh, Wimbledon was, uh, was upon us, uh, and Roger Federer, you know, the magician. And there he is, he chases down an absolutely impossible shot, and he dispatches a backhand cross-court winner uh, with such grace and ease, and rats, he's 35. How does he do that? How does he do that? You know, it's a natural question, I think, to ask when we see something that exceeds normal capabilities. That's what, get, that's what sort of gets us. How do they do that? And it's exactly the question that they were asking about Jesus. In verse 22, Jesus comes across this man whose life is completely shut in upon himself. It's closed in. Uh, his, his life has become very small. He's blind. He's living in darkness. He cannot communicate verbally. He cannot speak. And we read these stunning words that Jesus healed him. You know, if you're familiar with the Gospels, we can become accustomed to accustomed to these amazing things that are being said about what Jesus did. Jesus healed him. And that, of course, began to completely transform this man's life. And the people of Jesus' day were left asking the question, how did he do that? How did he do that? Because you're not going to be able to do that by discovering some kind of new technique or practicing for endless hours. That's just not going to cut it. How did he do that? No, there is a recog recognition, and interestingly, in the people around him, there's a recognition that this comes from some power. Some, some power from somewhere enables Jesus to do this. And actually, there are only two sources of that power. Do you see that? That's what the, 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 the crowd there conclude anyway. Uh, first of all, the people in verse 22 effectively say, we think this is God. Could this be the son of David, is the way that they express it. They're astonished. They're amazed at what Jesus has done for this person. And they say, could this be the son of David? Meaning, you know, in line with all those great prophecies of Isaiah and the other prophecies, that here was a person that was going to come into the world. We read it earlier on in the chapter uh, last week, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Could this be the long-hoped-for Messiah who's coming into the world and transforming people's lives? And so they say, I think it must be God, how this is happening. And then what about the Pharisees? In verse 24, they come up with a different uh, explanation. They say, no, 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 this is because of Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is a, is a colloquial expression, almost a nickname that was used in Jesus' day for Satan. And so they're saying, no, this is due to Satan, this is due to the prince of demons that Jesus is setting this person free. And that, of course, raises big questions. I mean, it's a very stark contrast, isn't it? 
One, peop- one person saying, or one group of people is saying it's God, another group of people is saying it's the enemy himself. But it raises the, questions, the question with regards to the Pharisees, why they would say that Jesus is in league with Satan. Why would they say that? And surely the answer to that question, when we begin to think about it, and we think about the way that they had set themselves to oppose Jesus, surely the answer is, for them, the alternative is just too shocking. Because if that is not the source of what Jesus is doing, it means that everything that Jesus was doing was in fact God's promised kingdom breaking in and Jesus was operating in the power of God Almighty. What was he doing? He was welcoming outcasts. He was welcoming messed up sinners. He was healing broken and impaired lives. He was calling people to a standard of living that could only come from a new heart rather than from self-satisfied externals. And it was all coming from him. And yet they had been opposing him and it's just too much for them to contemplate that this, in fact, may be God himself. How did he do it? We ask ourselves the question, how did he do it? The answer, of course, is by the power of God, the power of God, a power which is coming from God's kingdom, the way that God does things, the way that God wants to treat people, and healing comes uh, upon this man. And then we read in verse 25, as this narrative unfolds, we read in, in, in there that uh, Jesus knows their thoughts. We often come across that little phrase, don't we? Knowing their thoughts. Jesus on this occasion actually takes them on. He takes on this outrageous suggestion that he's doing this in the name of Satan. And he exposes a lie, he exposes the lie, and he reveals truth that sets people free. And he begins to teach them in this next paragraph, verses 25 to 28, about the nature of kingdoms. It's a brilliant bit of teaching. The nature of kingdoms. Now, we must uh, just uh, bear in mind or, or, or understand that kingdoms are about power sharing. Do you realize that? Kingdoms are about power sharing. That's the way that kingdoms operate. That's the way that kingdoms function. Kingdoms are about power, sharing. What did Jesus give to his disciples, to the 12, to the 70? Actually, we have the record of it back in chapter 10, the beginning of chapter 10 of Mark's gospel. That's one version uh, of a record that's, that's in the other gospels, the other first three gospels. We read there, of course, that Jesus gave them power and authority over all the works of the enemy and nothing would harm them. He shared his power with them. In his kingdom, he invited them into his kingdom and he shared his power with them. Jesus shares his power with his followers, just as Satan shares his influence and his power with those often unwittingly who align themselves with his attitudes and his ways and his values. 
So Jesus says it makes absolutely no sense for a power-sharing kingdom to fight itself. Verse 25, you know, divided kingdoms face ruin is the great point that he's making. It just simply cannot stand. They will come to an end. And so in verse 26, the idea that Satan cancels out his own work or the idea that Satan destroys his own work is ridiculous. It's, it's, a, it's a ludicrous suggestion to make. Now, now, some of you will know, and some of you will be very tired of us talking about this, but we, we at the moment have a, a renovation going on in our home. It started as something which was relatively modest and limited, and it's ended in being something which has um, taken on a life of its own for all kinds of reasons, which I won't bore you with. But if, if you use this sort of little picture to understand what Jesus is saying here, it's a little bit like in a house that you're renovating, having eventually getting to the stage where you're, you're getting a new kitchen fitted. And, you know, the people come in, they do that. And then as soon as it's fitted, you get on the phone, you ring up a different contractor, and you get them to come in and rip it all out and throw it in the skip. It's absolutely crazy. Or if you're in, in, involved in a new build, you have a, a, a new wall placed up according to the plans. And then again, as soon as that's finished, you get another group of builders to come in and to completely demolish it and to break it down. It leads to chaos. It, it it's absolutely, makes no sense what, whatsoever. It leads to ruin. And there's no progress whatsoever. And Jesus' point is... It's a little bit like what Jesus is saying here. Satan's kingdom is about creating the maximum misery for people. That's, the, that's what his intention is. Bringing individuals, marriages, families, communities into bondage and harm. That's his kingdom. That's what his kingdom is all about. Why then, if Jesus is in league with Satan... Would Satan give Jesus power to undo his work? Power to do the opposite, to actually heal and free people when Satan's intention is to do the very opposite in people's life. It would be a little bit like de demolishing a kitchen that has just been fitted in a house. No, rather, Jesus' work is a sign. This is an amazing sign that God's longed-for kingdom is here in power. Look at verse 28. What a great verse. If Jesus says, I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, His way of doing things, His heart for people, that has come upon you. And His kingdom will be bringing freedom and undoing that other kingdom which is bringing destruction. This is incredibly good news. We mustn't miss it as we just go through this passage. This is the gospel. The gospel is that God now, there's an invitation from God to join him in what he's doing in the universe. His great work of recreation, he invites us to come and join him in that, which includes our renewal as well, our freedom as well. And that brings us to verse 29. Verse 29. And I've called it um, 
this, this verse of getting free, getting free. That's what the passage is driving towards. Verse 29, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Well, Jesus is using a picture here. He loves to use pictures. And he's using a picture of Satan as a strong man. Satan as a strong man. And we have to understand, I think, a number of things from this if we want to get free in our own lives. They're fairly obvious. Number one, the enemy is strong. The enemy is very strong. Every news story that we come across, we hear one at, or multiple ones every day of our life. Every news story of misery and corruption reminds us that there is an enemy who is waiting to rob us and to harm us, humankind, in some way. And when we struggle with our own stuff, when we get in touch with the stuff that, that we kind of deal with in certain circumstances, things like anger and hatred and unforgiveness and anxiety and shame, all these things that can build up through things that take place in our lives. It reminds us that we are in a fight which is far beyond our own strength to deal with. It should remind us of that anyway. I've, I've been uh, recently just sort of praying a, a little prayer which goes something like this, help me to grasp, Lord, help me to grasp the cosmic battle that goes on in my own heart as well as throughout the whole world and help me to be wise, to receive what comes from above, that wisdom, and to be resolute in my faith. Resolute in my faith. So the enemy is strong, but we need to remember 1 John 4, 4, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Number two, the enemy's house needs plundering. He's got a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have, <laughs> is another way of putting that. The enemy's house needs plundering. And this is about taking back what is not his. We're not told to steal <laughs> unjustly here. But we're taking back what is not his, what he has robbed. We're taking back, you need to take back who you are. You need to take back who Christ is enabling you to be, what he has won for you. We've been giving thanks for that and remembering that in communion this morning already. We t need to take that back. We need to take back that all God intends to give and to enable each one of us to be for his glory and for the benefit of other people. That needs to be brought back. And so I must daily take all my experiences, the mixture of those experiences, I must take all my circumstances into his kingdom. I must consciously take them into God's kingdom the way that he operates, the things that he believes about me and my circumstances. Take them all in there and discover, actually, that's the safest place to be, that this world is a completely safe place when we find ourselves 
in his kingdom, secure and, and safe in, in him. And as we do that, as we take all of that stuff back into his kingdom, we realize that the future is not limited, our future is not limited by past rejections and past failures, but we discover anew that God gives capacity to build loving relationships with people that bless and, to, and, and, and make whole. But, you know, we have to do it his way, according to his kingdom. That's the only way that it works and the only way that we discover freedom. We need to take back these things that the enemy has stolen. And number three, the enemy must be tied up. It's interesting to note here in this, in this picture that Jesus gives in verse 29, that Jesus is talking about something that he has already done. It's very apparent from this passage that Jesus has already tied up the enemy. How do we know that? Well, he's helping himself to the possessions of the strong man, isn't he? He's plundering the strong man's house. He's speaking good news to people. He's healing people. He's setting people free. So it implies that, that you know, he has, he has bound the strong man in order to be able to do those things and to be um, bringing God's kingdom. I think Jesus reminds me of Jesus' prayer. If you remember, as he starts his earthly ministry in chapter 4 of Matthew's gospel, he gets driven into the desert and he finds himself in prayer there and there's this combat going on with the enemy who Jesus knows is very real. And, um, and there in, in prayer, that whole episode was about tying up the strong man, tying him up, refuting his lies and declaring the truth. And actually discovering through that process. I love the way that that passage ends up. It just simply says, and the devil left him. <laughs> he just got, got, got tired of it. And he left him. You know, but we need to resist with God's help. By declaring the truth, rejecting the lies. Which line up with his kingdom and his way of doing things. So... Um, I think we all know that uh, we have to ourselves participate. Jesus won a, a battle or he bound the strong man, but we have to participate personally also in our own lives in tying up the strong man in order to experience freedom ourselves. We have to participate in that. We can't just be passive in that. And I think we all know that deep in our hearts if we're honest with ourselves because we have so many deep-rooted patterns, negative and destructive, grievances and hurts, which remain entrenched in our lives. It's a kind of an indication that, you know, the, the, the enemy, the strong man, is not bound very effectively when we are battling with those things and not making any progress. Now, I, I recognize this is a huge subject getting getting free um, but it is an absolutely vital one for our discipleship if we are going to make progress in becoming the people God wants us to become so let me just give 
a, a couple of practical um, essentials, some steps, if you like, in, in closing this morning. <laughs> Number one, if we are going to <coughs> tie up the strong man, we have to, first of all, discover what is imprisoning us. I'm getting really specific here now. We have to discover what is binding us. You know, it's very hard to get free of something if we do not know what is binding us. Probably impossible. And the way that we discover is that with God's help, we go to Him, we go to Him, and we ask the Holy Spirit in quiet, you know, maybe with the help of, of trusted friends with us, we, we, we ask that, that God would reveal, that He would show uh, what it is that we feel imprisoned with. And, and, and the very obvious way that He leads us is that we've got to be courageous enough to follow our pain and hurt back to the source of what has caused that pain and hurt in our life. We've got to go back and ask the question, why is it that I am angry or feel such shame or, you know, whatever the issue may be? Why is that? What has happened? Who was involved? Those sorts of questions. So that God can shine His light upon where the source of, of, of the trauma, the pain, the hurt that is there. And God surely will help us in that process. And then we bring all of that, all of what we feel, all of what He is showing, we bring it in complete honesty to our loving God, to our God who loves us. We've, we've started to do that even this morning as we've come to communion. We're coming to Him knowing that He can... You know, he can bear all of our messing up and all the things that have gone wrong, all of our hurts. We bring them to him. That's the first thing that we need to do. Then as we, need, then, then as we get to that place with God's help again, we need to break our agreement, break our agreement with the enemy's kingdom, with the enemy's way of dealing with hurts and, and the difficulties that come in our life. We need to break our agreement with his lies, with, with, his, with his ways of dealing with these things, breaking, breaking agreement with fear, breaking agreement with rejection, breaking agreement with, with um, offense, breaking agreement with anger, whatever it is that, that, you know, is a part of our lives through these circumstances. Do you know, there is nothing that binds the enemy faster than breaking our agreement with him. You know, you can, as, as some people teach, you can rail at the enemy and say, I bind you in Jesus' name and all of that. And, you know, that may be good, I don't know. But I tell you, it's not as effective as repenting of breaking your agreement with his lies and the way that he wants to do things. We break, with God's help, our agreement with him. And we find that he gets bound in that process. And then thirdly, third step, we exchange that for the gift that Jesus wants to give you. We exchange his stuff for what Jesus wants to pour into you. And I would encourage you to ask, um, 
God specifically asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want to give me as a gift? Don't just assume you know, because he may have something that is tailored just for your circumstances. And listen to what he says. It may be kindness. It may be patience. It may be self-control. We need to listen to what it is he has for us. It will be the fruit of God's kingdom in some way, a gift that he wants to replace what we've broken our agreement with and that he wants to give you and to place into, your, into his life. You know, this is the way of freedom. That's the way of freedom. That's what results from binding the strong man. And as Jesus says later in this passage, down in verse 35, another picture, he says, we will be like, if we go through that process, we'll be like a good tree that bears good fruit. And that will be a blessing to everybody round about us. Everybody round about us. And the amazing thing is, we can start right now in this process. Freedom is, God, is, is what God wants for every one of us. And the truth is that all of us are broken and flawed in different ways. It's not just for some people and not for others. We all find ourselves in this, in this place. And Jesus is wanting to help us with that, to wash us, to heal us, to, to rescue us. So I suggest we, we continue on that process just for a moment or two now. Um, Ash, would you like to come back if you're, if you're there? I'm going to pray in a moment. Um, maybe if you've got... You're holding things, you can put those things down. And I want to invite you, just as I begin to pray, just, just be as in a comfortable place. You may want to just remain seated, you may want to stand, you may want to kneel. Uh, just whatever you sense would be helpful to you. Let's just ask, first of all, let's just take a moment of quiet. Become conscious of the Holy Spirit's presence with us. You know, the Lord is here. And I want to just remind you, first of all, that, you know, God wants to share his power with you. He wants to share his power with all of us. But you know, the first essential, the first essential for receiving that power into our lives is that we have to move our little kingdom into God's great kingdom. Whether that's for the first time or whether it's for the hundredth time. I'm finding I need to do it every day. Moving again my little kingdom into God's great kingdom. No longer my will be done my kingdom come, but your kingdom come, your will be done. We, we will never experience God sharing his power and authority with us unless we submit our lives, submit our kingdoms, let them be subsumed by his great kingdom. And Lord, I just pray in this moment now, as we, as we are here in your presence, we consciously, Lord, again or for the first time, we, we bring our lives, we bring our little kingdoms, all the things that we believe and, 
and um, the ways we try to do things, we bring it into your kingdom. And Lord, we, we, we ask that as you do that, that you would be releasing your power and authority into our life to be able to do the things which are in accordance with your kingdom and which lead to freedom rather than remaining bound. And Lord, now we, we ask you, Holy Spirit, would you identify to every mind and every heart the, the source of, of hurt, of pain that is there. The source of trouble that is probably there in your life in some way, a relationship that's not right. A sense of rejection, possibly. Just let the Lord... Trace it back, trace back what you're feeling to the circumstance, the events, the trauma, the interchange with certain people, whatever it may be. And hold that out, hold that out to the Lord. Now, we've already come to him in communion this morning, but this is sort of drilling somewhat deeper. This is getting specific, a specific thing which you know just comes back into your mind from time to time and goes round and round. And hold it out in open hands to Jesus. And then, Lord, with your help, I choose to break my agreement with resentment, with hurt, with humiliation, with shame, with failure. with unforgiveness. And Lord, I know I can only do that with your help. But Lord, with your help, I, I start that journey of breaking agreement with these things, with the things of the enemy's kingdom, his way of dealing with things. And Lord, now wonderfully, I want to exchange it for the gift that you have for me. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be showing each, each one of us, Lord, the, the particular gift that you are wanting to, to give in order, rather than giving those other things, but to be able to begin to give Jesus' gift. I just want to ask you, as, as you're there, just to allow the Lord to minister in that process. Let him wash and seal you with his blood. Do you know the walls can come down? He's able to do everything. We might think that the problems are intractable. 
But the truth is that we are loved by God. All he wants for us is to be honest with him, to ask for his help, and to know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So reject the lies. Every time they come up, reject them. I'm going another way. I'm going the way of another kingdom. God wants to continue the process of transforming us that way where of real benefit to the people round about us. He wants to make us like himself. That's why he came into the world. Not so that we hold on to all this other stuff. Father, we rejoice in your great love. Lord, we know that um, this is a walk with you, a process with you, but one that we want to get so much better at. And we want to um, pray, Lord, that your love and your ability to do all those things that we are so beyond us, we pray that you would bury them deep into our hearts and into our minds, that you would give us strength as we go into this week to believe your love and your truth and to reject everything that comes from the enemy, every lie that is there. And we pray that you would take us, Lord, you'd take us and you'd continue to work in our lives and you continue to strengthen the things that you have been doing today. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Let me just say one thing, that as you go today, I want to encourage you as you walk out of this building to believe that things have changed. Things are not going to be the same. Freedom has begun. If we stick to these things which are about the freedom that comes from God's kingdom, it cannot fail. It cannot fail. Freedom has begun. Take that in your heart as you go. God bless you.